Book Four, Chapter Seven of the Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. The Late Mr. Jonathan Wild the Great by Henry Fielding. Book Four, Chapter Seven. Mrs. Hartfree relates her adventures. Mrs. Hartfree proceeded thus. The vengeance which the French captain exacted on that villain, our hero, persuaded me that I was fallen into the hands of a man of honour and justice, nor, indeed, was it possible for any person to be treated with more respect and civility than I now was, but if this could not mitigate my sorrows when I reflected on the condition in which I had been betrayed to leave all that was dear to me, much less could it produce such an effect when I discovered, as I soon did, that I owed it chiefly to a passion which threatened me with great uneasiness, as it quickly appeared to be very violent and as I was absolutely in the power of the person who possessed it, or was rather possessed by it. I must, however, do him the justice to say my fears carried my suspicions farther than I afterwards found I had any reason to carry them. He did, indeed, very soon acquaint me with his passion, and used all those gentle methods which frequently succeed with our sex, to prevail with me to gratify it, but never once threatened, nor had the least recourse to force. He did not even once insinuate to me that I was totally in his power, which I myself sufficiently saw, and whence I drew the most dreadful apprehensions, well knowing that, as there are some dispositions so brutal that cruelty adds a zest and savour to their pleasures, so there are others whose gentler inclinations are better gratified when they win us by softer methods to comply with their desires. Yet that even these may be often compelled by an unruly passion to have recourse at last to the means of violence when they despair of success from persuasion. But I was happily the captive of a better man. My conqueror was one of those over whom vice hath a limited jurisdiction, and though he was too easily prevailed on to sin, he was proof against any temptation to villainy. We had been two days almost totally becalmed, when a brisk gale rising as we were in sight of dunkirk we saw a vessel making full sail towards us the captain of the privateer was so strong that he apprehended no danger but from a man-of-war which the sailors discerned this not to be he therefore struck his colours and furled his sails as much as possible in order to lie by and expect her hoping she might be a prize. Here, Hartfree smiling, his wife stopped and inquired the cause. He told her it was from her using the sea terms so aptly. She laughed, and answered he would wonder less at this when he heard the long time she had been on board, 
and then proceeded. This vessel now came alongside of us, and hailed us, having perceived that on which we were aboard to be of our own country. They begged us not to put into Dunkirk, but to accompany them in their pursuit of a large English merchantman, whom we should easily overtake, and both together as easily conquer. Our captain immediately consented to this proposition, and ordered all his sail to be crowded. This was most unwelcome news to me. However, he comforted me all he could by assuring me I had nothing to fear, that he would be so far from offering the least rudeness to me himself, that he would, at the hazard of his life, protect me from it. This assurance gave me all the consolation which my present circumstances and the dreadful apprehensions I had on your dear account would admit, at which words the tenderest glances passed on both sides between the husband and wife. We sailed near twelve hours when we came in sight of the ship we were in pursuit of, and which we should probably have soon come up with, had not a very thick mist ravished her from our eyes. This mist continued several hours, and when it cleared up, we discovered our companion at a great distance from us, but what gave us, I mean the captain and his crew, the greatest uneasiness was the sight of a very large ship within a mile of us, which presently saluted us with a gun, and now appeared to be a third-rate English man-of-war. Our captain declared the impossibility of either fighting or escaping, and accordingly struck without waiting for the broadside which was preparing for us, and which perhaps would have prevented me from the happiness I now enjoy. This occasioned Hartfree to change color. His wife, therefore, passed hastily to circumstances of a more smiling complexion. I greatly rejoiced at this event, as I thought it would not only restore me to the safe possession of my jewels, but to what I value beyond all the treasure in the universe. My expectation, however, of both these was somewhat crossed for the present, as to the former, I was told, they should be carefully preserved, but that I must prove my right to them, before I could expect their restoration, which, if I mistake not, the captain did not very eagerly desire I should be able to accomplish, and as to the latter, I was acquainted that I should be put on board the first ship which they met on her way to England, but that they were proceeding to the West Indies. I had not been long on board the man-of-war, before I discovered just reason rather to lament than rejoice at the exchange of my captivity, for such I concluded my present situation to be. I had now another lover in the captain of this Englishman, and much rougher and less gallant than the Frenchman had been. He used me with scarce common civility, as indeed he showed very little to any other person, treating his officers little better than a man of no great good breeding would exert to his meanest servant, and that too 
on some very irritating provocation. As for me, he addressed me with the insolence of a basha to a Circassian slave. He talked to me with the loose license in which the most profligate libertines converse with harlots, and which women abandoned only in a moderate degree detest and abhor. He often kissed me with very rude familiarity, and one day attempted further brutality, when a gentleman on board, who was in my situation, that is, had been taken by a privateer and was retaken, rescued me from his hands, for which the captain confined him, though he was not under his command, two days in irons, when he was released, for I was not suffered to visit him in his confinement, I went to him and thanked him with the utmost acknowledgment for what he had done and suffered on my account. The gentleman behaved to me in the handsomest manner on this occasion, told me he was ashamed of the high sense I seemed to entertain of so small an obligation of an action to which his duty as a Christian and his honour as a man obliged him. From this time I lived in great familiarity with this man, whom I regarded as my protector, and he professed himself ready to be on all occasions, expressing his utmost abhorrence of the captain's brutality, especially that shown towards me, and the tenderness of a parent for the preservation of my virtue, for which I was not myself more solicitous than he appeared. He was indeed, the only man I had hitherto met since my unhappy departure, who did not endeavour by all his looks, words, and actions, to assure me he had a liking to my unfortunate person, the rest seeming desirous of sacrificing the little beauty they complimented to their desires, without the least consideration of the ruin which I earnestly represented to them they were attempting to bring on me, and on my future repose. I now passed several days pretty free from the captain's molestation, till one fatal night. Here, perceiving Hartfree grew pale, she comforted him by an assurance that heaven had preserved her chastity, and again had restored her unsullied to his arms. She continued thus, Perhaps I give it a wrong epithet in the word fatal, but a wretched night I am sure I may call it, for no woman who came off victorious was, I believe, ever in greater danger. One night, I say, having drank his spirits high with punch, in company with the purser, who was the only man in the ship he admitted to his table, the captain sent for me into his cabin, whither, though unwilling, I was obliged to go. We were no sooner alone together than he seized me by the hand, and after affronting my ears with discourse which I am unable to repeat, he swore a great oath that his passion was to be dallied with no longer that I must not expect to treat him in the manner to which a set of blockhead landmen submitted. None of your coquette airs, therefore, with me, madam, said he, for 
I am resolved to have you this night. No struggling nor squalling, for both will be impertinent. The first man who offers to come in here, I will have his skin fleed off at the gangway. He then attempted to pull me violently towards his bed. I threw myself on my knees, and with tears and entreaties besought his compassion. But this was, I found, to no purpose. I then had recourse to threats, and endeavoured to frighten him with the consequence. But neither had this, though it seemed to stagger him more than the other method, sufficient force to deliver me. At last a stratagem came into my head, of which my perceiving him real gave me the first hint. I entreated a moment's reprieve only, when collecting all the spirits I could muster, I put on a constrained air of gaiety, and told him, with an affected laugh, he was the roughest lover I had ever met with, and that I believed I was the first woman he had ever paid his addresses to. Addresses, said he, D blank blank in your dresses, I want to undress you. I then begged him to let us drink some punch together, for that I loved a can as well as himself, and never would grant the favour to any man till I had drank a hearty glass with him. Oh, said he, if that be all, you shall have punch enough to drown yourself in. At which words he rung the bell, and ordered in a gallon of that liquor. I was in the meantime obliged to suffer his nauseous kisses, and some rudenesses, which I had great difficulty to restrain within moderate bounds. When the punch came in, he took up the bowl, and drank my health ostentatiously, in such a quantity that it considerably advanced my scheme. I followed him with bumpers as fast as possible, and was myself obliged to drink so much that, at another time, it would have staggered my own reason, and at present it did not affect me. At length, perceiving him very far gone, I watched an opportunity, and ran out of the cabin, resolving to seek protection of the sea, if I could find no other. But heaven was now graciously pleased to relieve me, for in his attempt to pursue me he reeled backwards, and falling down the cabin stairs he dislocated his shoulder, and so bruised himself that I was not only preserved that night from any danger of my intended ravisher, but the accident threw him into a fever which endangered his life, and whether he ever recovered or no, I am not certain, for during his delirious fits the eldest lieutenant commanded the ship. This was a virtuous and a brave fellow, who had been twenty-five years in that post without being able to obtain a ship, and had seen several boys, the bastards of noblemen, put over his head. One day, while the ship remained under his command, an English vessel bound to Cork passed by, Myself and my friend, who had formerly lain two days in irons on my account, went on board this ship with the leave of the good lieutenant, who made us such presents as he was able of provisions, and congratulating me on my delivery from a danger 
to which none of the ship's crew had been strangers, he kindly wished us both a safe voyage. End of Book 4, Chapter 7 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox.